0: This morning we're continuing in Luke chapter 2 and so I would invite you to take your Bibles and open them to Luke chapter 2. Last week we began looking at Luke 2, 1 through 20 as we're looking at the king's birth in Bethlehem. and So this morning we come to part 2 as we will be looking specifically at verses 8 through 20. But I'll begin by reading in Luke chapter 2 and verse 1 so that we can set the context for us here this morning. Luke chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people." For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Whenever a prince was born, the normal procedure for the announcement Of his birth was to announce his birth first to the king and to other dignitaries that were around the king. At this point in Israel's history, here in Luke chapter 2, you have Caesar Augustus, who was reigning as king over the Roman Empire. You have Herod the Great, who is king of Judea. You even have other men in Israel like the high priest, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and other prominent religious men in Israel. And yet when the king of the universe is born, the announcement of this king is not made to any of them. None of those guys in high places. As I said last week, there was no announcement in the Bethlehem news. There was no voice from heaven declaring to everyone in Bethlehem or around Bethlehem that the king has been born. There's no angelic announcement throughout the city of Bethlehem. In fact, if you remember from our scripture reading last week in Matthew chapter 2, King Herod doesn't find out about the birth of Jesus until the Magi come from the east and begin to ask around in Jerusalem where the king of the Jews has been born. In fact, Matthew 2.1 says, tells us this, that when the Magi finally arrive in Jerusalem, Magi from the east arrive, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Why was he troubled? Because he hadn't heard that a king was born. The Magi know that a king has been born. They just didn't know where he was born. The king of Judea didn't know about the birth of the king and neither did any other prominent figure in Israel. You see, when the king of kings was born, by royal standards, this is... Nothing special. Nothing special. There was no royal parade in the streets of Bethlehem announcing the arrival of the king. There was no palace spokesperson ready to announce the birth to the media. This was just a simple, lowly event. But that fits our king, right? who taught in Matthew 5 and verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom in heaven. Our king came in a humble manner. He came as a a lowly king. And last week we began looking at the king's birth, and we saw in verses 1 through 5, the sovereign decree. The sovereign decree, and we saw how God had orchestrated a decree by Caesar Augustus so that Joseph and Mary would be in Bethlehem just in time for Christ's birth. Bethlehem was where God told us through the prophet Micah That Jesus would be born. He would be born in Bethlehem. And so God sovereignly orchestrated all of the details that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. He worked out all of the sovereign details. And then in verses 6 and 7 we saw the humble delivery. As our king was born in an animal stall and laid in a manger... Because there was no room for them in the honored guest room in the house. Mary took the king, King Jesus, and wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger. Manger being a feeding trough for animals. That's where they laid the king. And now as we come to verses 8-20... through 20, We're going to see two more points regarding the announcement of the king's birth. And we're going to see how the greatest news the world could hear was announced not to prominent leaders in Israel, in the land of Israel, but to the most unlikely people. So we come now to the third point as we continue in Luke chapter 2, found in verses 8 through 14, our second point in what we will call the angelic declaration. The angelic declaration. Look again at verse 8. Notice what Luke says there. He says, In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, notice Luke tells us here in verse 8 that it's in the same region. Region. And we would conclude from verse 4 that the region was the region of Bethlehem, where Jesus was born. Now, Bethlehem was about six miles south of Jerusalem. Not too far from Jerusalem, six miles south. But in the region between Jerusalem and Bethlehem was an area known as Migdal Eder. Migdol Eder. A church father, Jerome, who lived in Bethlehem, tells us that Migdal Eder was 1,000 paces from Bethlehem. Just outside of Bethlehem. Not too far. Migdal Eder means tower of the flock, and we read about it in Genesis 35-21 as the place where Jacob buried Rachel. It's the exact same place. Now, why do I tell you this? Why do I tell you about this region called Migdal-Eder just outside of Bethlehem? Well, Dr. Will Varner tells us about this place in his book, Anticipating the Advent, and he says this. The Babylonian Talmud states that Migdal-Eder was where lambs were raised for the Passover sacrifices in Jerusalem, just a few miles to the north. He goes on and he says, When one pauses to think about that, the conclusion is very probable that the lambs born near Bethlehem were birthed to be sacrificed in Jerusalem. And another lamb was born there who would also be sacrificed in Jerusalem. You see, in that region there, Migdol Eder, that was the region where the shepherds were with their sheep, and they were raising their sheep in order to be sacrifices in Jerusalem at the temple. And I believe that when Luke tells us about this region here, he's telling us about this region where shepherds would be raising their sheep for slaughter for the Passover in Jerusalem while the Lamb of God was born in Bethlehem to be the sacrifice who will save his people from their sin. This is most likely this region where the shepherds were. And what were these shepherds then doing? Well, Luke tells us again in verse 8. Notice what he says there. These shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, this was something that shepherds did in Israel from April to November. April to November, that was what the shepherds did. They would take their, their sheep out by night because the weather was nice enough for the shepherds to do this. However, Leon Morris tells us in his commentary that there are rabbinical writings that tell us about sheep being pastured between Jerusalem and Bethlehem in February. In February. So what does this mean? It means we don't know the exact timing of this. Most likely wasn't on December 25th, like we celebrate today. It was possibly even early spring when Jesus was born. But we can't be dogmatic about it either way. The reality is we don't know. But whatever time of the year it was, Luke tells us that these shepherds were out there keeping watch over their flock by night. And so we know that Luke is telling us here it's nighttime. This is all happening While it's dark out, the shepherds would keep their sheep out in the fields during the day, and then they would move them into sheepfolds where the shepherds could keep watch over them at night in order to protect them from robbers and wild animals. Now, if we were living in these days and we were reading this text before us here in Luke chapter 2, And we are reading verse 8, we would come across this word shepherds and we would be puzzled. Why would we be puzzled? Well, shepherds in Israel at this time were not highly valued. In fact, although they may not have been despised, they definitely were considered insignificant in Israel's society. These were a bunch of insignificant men, according to the society of the day. They were held in low regard and were near the bottom of the social ladder. They were social outcasts and were considered in this day untrustworthy. And because of their work with the sheep... They were considered to be ceremonially unclean as well. So they were put out. You stay out there. You take care of the sheep. One commentator says that the only people lower than shepherds at that particular time in Jewish history were lepers. Lepers. But these shepherds here weren't as low as lepers because two of the greatest leaders in Israel's history were at one time shepherds. Who's that? Moses and David. Moses and David. They were both shepherds. But these shepherds at this time, they definitely weren't a part of the popular social class of the day. Who were these men? They were simply lowly, humble people. But they were God's choice to announce the greatest news the world could ever hear. Look at verse 9. Notice what Luke says there. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. While these shepherds are out there at the night, in the night, tending their sheep, an angel of the Lord then appears to them. Now we aren't told who this angel is, but in light of what we are told earlier on with the announcement to Zacharias of John the Baptist and the announcement to Mary that she would have a son, It's possible that this angel here is Gabriel because that's who announced the news to Zechariah and to Mary. It's possible that it's Gabriel, but we aren't told for certain who this is. But while these lowly, humble men are there at night taking care of the sheep, suddenly this angel then appears to them. And just like what happened to Zechariah and Mary, an angel appears to them to these lowly men who were taking care of their sheep. But this time, the arrival of an angel was different. This one was different. It wasn't just an angel that appeared to these shepherds, but notice what Luke tells us here in verse 9. He says that, And the glory of the Lord shone around them. These men, these shepherds, saw not only an angel, but they also saw the glory of the Lord. What is this glory of the Lord that Luke tells us about? It's the very presence of God. It's the very presence of God that is often manifested in brilliant light. And you can see the contrast here, right? It's nighttime, it's dark out, and here comes what? The glory of the Lord that's shown around them. Now what is this glory of the Lord? Well, this glory of the Lord is seen all throughout Scripture. In fact, Luke tells us about this glory appearing to Abraham in Ur in Acts chapter 7 and verse 2. This is the same glory on Mount Sinai that we read about in Exodus 24, where Moses used to go and speak with God. This is the same glory of the Lord that filled the temple in Exodus chapter 40. This is the same glory that filled the temple that Solomon had built in 1 Kings 8. But, listen to this, it's also the same glory that left the temple in Ezekiel chapter 9. The exact same glory. It left the temple in Ezekiel chapter 9. And for more than 500 years, the glory of the Lord has not appeared until this night. Until this night. When it appeared to none other than shepherds. Some lowly shepherds that are keeping watch over their sheep at night. What was the shepherds' reaction to this angel and the glory of the Lord? Luke tells us here they were terribly frightened. Literally the Greek says it this way. They feared a great fear. This is an intense fear that gripped them, and rightly so. This is the normal reaction whenever someone in Scripture encountered an angel. You often hear people today that will say, an angel appeared to me. The first question you should ask is, what was your response? And if they say, I just said hello... I was casual. It was so nice and warm and fuzzy. It wasn't an angel. Because what happens when angels appear? Fear. They're terrified. These shepherds are just out doing their job, taking care of the sheep. And in the backdrop of the night, there is now this glorious light that is shown around them. And they are terrified. But Notice what Luke says in verse 10. He says, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You see, the angel comes, and as the angel is there and these shepherds are frightened, the angel has to calm these shepherds and comfort them and tell them not to fear. Why? Because the angel has come to declare to them the greatest news the world could ever hear. That the king has been born. The king has been born. And notice the angel says here, he says, I bring you good news. That is the Greek word there, euangelizo, from which we get our English word, evangelize. Evangelize. It means to proclaim good news. You see, any sinner who faces God should be terrified, right? He should be terrified. Because a sinner who is not saved is under the wrath of God. But the message of the gospel is the same message that this angel declares here. Fear not. Fear not. The gospel tells all sinners Who rightly are terrified of God that they don't have to fear anymore because they can be saved from the wrath of God by repenting of their sin and trusting in Jesus Christ, the King. That's the message of the gospel. That's the good news. In fact, that's the Christmas message. Warren Wiersbe says, fear not is one of the key themes of the Christmas story. Why? Because instead of fear, this message is one that produces great joy. Which is exactly what the angel says here. It's great joy to those who trust in Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's why this Christmas season is always a time of great joy for us as believers because we know what it is all about. God has sent his son to be the sacrificial lamb for our sins so that our sins could be forgiven and so that we could have the greatest gift of all, the free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's why we rejoice. And then notice at the end of verse 10, the angel says there, which will be for all the people. You see, this isn't just good news for Israel, for the Jews, that their Messiah has come, although it's true, he has come. The Messiah is now here. But this angel says and declares that this is great news for all people both Jew and Gentile, that there is salvation in Christ alone, both for the Jew and for the Gentile. In fact, that's exactly what Simeon said eight days later when Jesus was presented at the table over in verse 30 of Luke chapter 2 Simeon says this for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light of revelation listen to this to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel he came to bring salvation to both the Jew and to the Gentile that's us that's us The good news of the gospel is that salvation is for all people who will turn from their sin and trust in Christ. That's the good news of Christmas. Well, the angel then gets more specific in the details of this good news in verse 11. Notice what he says there. For today in the city of David, there's been born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord. He now tells these shepherds what has taken place. Today, that is earlier on, today, in the day, in the city of David, that is, as I said last time, this is referring to Bethlehem, that is the city of David, as that's the city that David was born and raised in, Bethlehem was, although we consider Jerusalem as the city of David as well because that's the city that he conquered and reigned from. But Bethlehem here is the city of David because it's where he was born and raised. And then the angel says, a baby has been born for you. That is, what God has prophesied 700 years earlier in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 has now been fulfilled. They've been waiting 700 years for this. For this baby to be born in Bethlehem. And notice that the angel says there, this baby has been born for you. For you. These shepherds must have been waiting for the arrival of the Messiah. And he came for these poor, lowly, despised shepherds. To save them. Not for Caesar or King Herod or the other religious elites. Although if they did humble themselves and turn from their sin and trust in the king of kings, they would be saved. But the angel announces here this baby has been born for you. And for those like you, shepherds, for those that humble themselves before the Lord, recognizing and realizing that there is nothing that they can do to save themselves. There is nothing that we can, we are not good, the Bible says. No one is good, no, not one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us has done that. And so what must we do then? We must be like the shepherds. We must humble ourselves before God and beg him and plead with him to save us from our sins. And when we do that, he will save us. Because that's why this baby was born. That's who he came to save. Well, then the angel gives a threefold description of this baby born in Bethlehem. Notice the angel says there that he is Savior, Christ, and Lord. This is uh, amazing here. At the end of verse 11, these three titles... Savior, Christ, and Lord, they don't appear in combination like this in any other New Testament text. No other text in the New Testament except right here. And notice that the angel doesn't give the baby's name. The angel doesn't say Jesus. But he gives three titles to these shepherds. First, he says that this baby is savior meaning he's a deliverer and what will he deliver man from from their sin he will deliver us from our sin because that's every man's greatest problem we have all sinned against a holy and righteous god and are under god's wrath and deserve eternal hell and damnation And therefore, our greatest need is to be delivered from this sin that is taking us to hell. And what does the angel pronounce here? The Savior has been born. The Deliverer has come. The one who can deliver you from your sin that is taking you to an eternity in hell. He has come. He is here. He is the Deliverer, and you must trust in Him alone so that you could be saved, delivered from your sin. Next, the angel says that He is Christ. Second title there, He is Christ, meaning Messiah or Anointed One. That there is is the place of exaltation and honor. He is the Messiah or the Anointed One that was prophesied about in the Old Testament. He is God's chosen one. He is the prophet, priest, and king. He is the Christ. The Messiah whom God sent to be the Savior. And then the angel gives a third title there. He says that he is Lord. That he is Lord. This is a title that's given to a person in leadership or one who has authority But here it's given as a divine title. This is a divine title. It's it's the name that is above every name that Philippians chapter 2 tells us about. He is Lord and he is Lord over all. And it is at that name, the name Lord, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That is every single one, whether they believe in him or not. Every knee will bow. Every unbeliever will bow to Christ as Lord. And whether or not they will get into heaven depends upon what they have done with Christ. Whether they have believed in him alone or not. Because he is Lord over all. That's exactly what the angel is declaring here. He is Christ the Lord. He is God in the flesh. And He is the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. So, what must we do with this Lord? We must humble ourselves. And bow the knee to him now. Worship him now. Believe in him now. Because he is Lord over all. And if we do that, as the angel said, he's a savior who will save you and give you the free gift of eternal life. To all who come to him and believe in him. This baby that is born in Bethlehem on that day, he is Lord. He's Lord. But the angel's not done with his declaration. He goes on from this high exaltation as Lord to a low place where this king is laid. Notice what he says there in verse 12. He says, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. That is, the Savior, Christ, Lord, won't be found in a palace or in some place of royalty wearing royal clothes. No, he will be found wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Now, we talked a little bit about this last week. Jesus was born in an animal stall. He was born in an animal stall that was attached to a home because there was no room for them in the honored guest room in that house. As they came to Bethlehem, they came to that house. There was an honored guest room that was there, but because of the census that was taking place, a lot of people had flocked to Bethlehem. There was no room then in that house, in that honored guest room, and so they said, we've got some room for you out in the animal stall. You can go and stay there. That's what they did. And there in that animal stall, they would have a manger, literally feeding troughs that were most likely not made out of wood like we see on our Christmas cards today, but they were made out of stone. They were stone. They were cut in stone and they would place these mangers these feeding troughs, in the animal stalls so that the animals could eat out of it. And the last place that you would find a baby, especially a king, would be a dirty, smelly manger. But this was the sign This is the sign for these shepherds so that they would know who this Savior Christ, Lord, is. When they go and look for the king, they will find him in a manger. That's the message that this angel gives to these shepherds. And then suddenly, something spectacular happens. Look at verse 14. Notice what Luke says there. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. All of a sudden, it's not just this one angel with the glory of the Lord around them, but now there is a multitude of angels that show up where these shepherds are out in the field in the middle of the night. And what do these angels, the multitude of angels, do? They do what they've always done. They're praising God. They're praising God. Why? Because the king has arrived on earth. The king has arrived. Now, think about this. Think about this for a moment. These angels have known Jesus in heaven as the second person of the Trinity where they have been worshiping him. Right? But now he has left heaven, he's put on humanity, and has come to save those who have sinned against him. These angels know that he is the Savior. They know that he's the Christ, and they know that he is Lord over all. And so they say then in verse 14, glory to God in the highest. Where is that? Where is the highest? In heaven. Glory to God in heaven, in the highest. And while heaven offers praise, the earth is offered peace. As they continue to say, and on earth peace among men with whom he is Please. Now, what does this mean? What does this mean here? The angels say, "On, on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Does this mean that man is supposed to try and please God through their good works? And that all those who please God through their good works will have peace? Is that what the angel is saying? No, that's not what the angel is saying. Because we know that no good works can save us. No good works can save us. So what does this mean then? This means that there is peace for all those who are shown favor by God. One commentator says, the phrase means, those upon whom God's will or God's favor rests, and expresses the thought of God's free choice of those whom he wills to favor and save. You see, unsaved sinners are not at peace with God. They're not at peace with God. But as Romans 5.10 says, the unsaved are, listen to this, enemies of God. They're enemies of God. So what do they need? They need peace with God. Because they're presently enemies of God. How does that come? How, how do they then have peace with God? Well, it's not by any good works that the sinner can do, but it's only by God's grace. Grace. And they must repent of their sin and trust in Christ in order to be saved. And all who do that are no longer God's enemies, but they now have peace with God. That is what the angels are declaring. That is what Christ came to bring. He came to bring peace between man and God, between sinners and the Savior. And all who trust in Christ will be at peace with God. And we will, as the angel said earlier, have great joy because we are now at peace with God. And all of this Is possible. All of this happens because of the king, because of the baby who was born in Bethlehem and laid in a manger. So that is the angelic declaration. So far we've seen the sovereign decree and the humble delivery, the angelic declaration, and let's look now at our final point, point number four, what we will call the shepherd's decision. The shepherds' decision. Look at verse 15. Notice what Luke says there. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. The angels that were there praising God, the angels leave, they go back to heaven and they continue to worship God there. And I love this because if you look back at verses 8 through 14, nowhere in that passage did the angels command the shepherds to go to Bethlehem. Remember, they're out in the region, outside of Bethlehem. But nowhere do they command them to go to Bethlehem. So what will these shepherds do? One commentator says here, the announcement sets off a chain reaction. Notice what Luke says there in verse 15. These shepherds then begin to say to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. They have to go and see. The angel has just come and announced this message to us. We've got to go see if it's true. They've heard all about the Savior. They've heard about the Christ. They've heard about the Lord. They have to go now and see him. And so they must go in faith and see what the angels have told them. They didn't hesitate. They didn't go back to keeping their watch over their flock What did they do with their flocks? We don't know. Maybe they made provision for someone to come and watch them. But it all happened very quickly. Very quickly. They had to get into the town of Bethlehem to see what was told to them by the angel. Now what's interesting here is who they attribute to telling them what has happened. Remember who told them. Who told them the message? It was an angel. It was an angel. But notice what they say here. They say here, the Lord has made this known to us. The Lord has. It was God who made known all of this through the angel. The angels were simply messengers for God. That God sent to go and tell them. Go tell them this great news. So that these shepherds will know what has happened in Bethlehem. It was God who revealed this message. And notice, God did not reveal it to the kings in the land, not to the priests or the religious leaders in the land or anyone else of high status. God reveals this message here to the lowly, humble shepherds. So, what did they do? Look at verse 16. So, they came in a hurry and they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. They come in a hurry, they've got to go. There's no time to waste. we got to go see what the angel has told us. And they take off. They go in a hurry to find Mary and Joseph and the baby. How did they know to go to Mary and Joseph? Where to find them? We aren't told the details of how they found them. But remember, there was a sign that was given to them, right? God gave them a sign. They'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and laying in a manger somehow they they find a baby laying in a manger the king of kings the lord of lords in a feeding trough and so they know this is the one that the angel told us about this is him Look at verse 17. Notice what Luke says there. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child and all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. I love this because the shepherds couldn't keep it in. They couldn't keep quiet. They had to go and tell others. They had to tell others, what had happened to them out in the field, how the angel had appeared to them and the glory of God was shown around them, how a multitude of angels came and joined this angel and were praising God. They must have told them what the angels had said and and how it was the Lord who had revealed all of this to them. What's amazing here as we think about this is they're living in a time when it has been 500 years since the glory of God had appeared. 500 years. From Ezekiel 9 where the glory of God left till now when the glory of God appears, it's been 500 years in Israel. It wasn't a common thing to have an angel appear. It wasn't a common thing to have the glory of God appear. And so these guys telling this account would have risked ridicule and disbelief from those whom they were telling. Because this wasn't common. But they know the truth they know what the truth is and what do they do they tell it they have to tell it we've got to go and tell them will we be ridiculed and disbelieved by those around us maybe but it doesn't matter we got to tell them because it's true These lowly, humble, insignificant shepherds in the world's eyes were not afraid to speak up. In fact, these shepherds became evangelists that night. In fact, these shepherds here are the first evangelists in the New Testament. Lowly shepherds. become evangelists and they have to go and tell this good news that had been given to them and verse 18 says all those who heard it wondered at what they had said that is they were amazed that's what that word wonder there means it means they were just amazed It's, it's all it says not that they believed not that they had trusted in god Not that they had even praised God. They just wondered. But listen. Wonder and amazement isn't enough. It's not enough. You see, many people today wonder at Christ. But that's all they do. They just wonder. They see him as just a good man. Good man who came. Did some really good things for people. Fed the poor. Took care of the low and downtrodden. He's just a good man. And there's some amazement. But that amazement isn't enough. Amazement isn't enough to save a person. They must trust in Him. They must believe in Him. They must turn from their sins and trust in Him as the Christ, the Savior, the Lord. In fact, after this initial amazement here, and Luke these people that were amazed probably just went back to their normal lives living as if nothing really happened wow that was a nice story that these shepherds told us but not Mary and not these shepherds they had a different reaction notice verse 19 Notice what Luke tells us there. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. She couldn't let these things go. She's reflecting on these things. That's what it means to treasure all of these things, to to reflect deeply on these things. What is all of this that that is happening, that is taking place? Oh, I'm not just gonna be amazed and just go on living my life No, I'm going to treasure all of these things in my heart and I will continue to ponder them and ponder them and reflect upon them. And what happened to Mary then? Did she believe? She did. She trusted in the child. She trusted in the one in whom she gave birth to the King, the Messiah, the Savior. In fact, in Acts 1.14, we see Mary in the upper room with the apostles and the brothers of Jesus praying. Why? Because she believed. She trusted in Christ. She treasured all of these things and pondered them in her heart and believed in Christ as her Savior. But Mary wasn't the only one impacted that day. Look at verse 20. Notice what it says there. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as had been told them. This was a night that changed their lives forever. These lowly, humble, insignificant men had seen their Savior. the Christ who is Lord over all. They go back to their fields to tend their sheep, but they weren't just in amazement. No, what did they do? They were glorifying and praising God just as the angels had done. They joined the chorus of the angels and they rejoiced that the Savior has been born. You see, on that night, in the town of Bethlehem, the king was born. It wasn't announced to kings or dignitaries or any other high-ranking officials. It was announced to lowly, humble shepherds who were out in a field watching over their sheep at night. And the amazing thing in this account is not only the humble way in which our Savior was born. But also what these lowly men did with this good news of great joy that was revealed to them. What did they do? They had to go and tell others about the king who was born in Bethlehem. They couldn't hold it in. Every Christmas, we sing the song, Go Tell It on the Mountain, that Jesus Christ is born. It's what these shepherds did. It was them, they didn't fear man. They didn't fear being despised or mocked or ridiculed. They had to go and tell others about this great and glorious news. God used them in a mighty way that night. And he'll use you as well. If you will humble yourself before the Lord and show yourself to be faithful to go and proclaim this glorious news to the world. God will use you. He will. May we be faithful this Christmas to go and tell others of the greatest news that the world could ever hear. That Jesus Christ, who was born in a manger in Bethlehem, is the Lamb of God who died for sinners, and He will save all of those who repent of their sin and trust in Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, we are amazed. We're amazed every year. It's your perfect, glorious plan to save sinners like us. Father, we thank you for our Savior, the Christ, Messiah, our Lord, who came to save us from our sins. Father, I pray that you would help us to be used, to be bold and courageous like these shepherds, to humble ourselves before you, to be used by you so that we might be evangelists who would go and proclaim this glorious news that our king has been born. And Father, we know the rest of the story. We know that he lived a perfect life And then he went to a cross willingly to go and die for us, for sinners like us. And we know that he didn't stay dead, but that three days later he rose again. And he has conquered all sin and all death. And he rules and he reigns today. And he sits at your right hand. Father, help us to worship the King and to go and tell others about our glorious King. And Father, for anyone who is here this morning that doesn't know you, that doesn't know the King, that is an enemy of you, that is living in their sin and rebellion against you, oh Father, I pray that you would grant them the gift of repentance and faith that they would turn from their sin and trust in Christ alone and that this Christmas they would receive the greatest gift of all, the gift of eternal life. Father, may you do your work in their heart. We thank you for our King. We praise you and give you glory in Christ's name. Amen.